Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. It reads, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to eat every beast, and to every beast on the field, I'm sorry, I got to, and to every, I must be hungry because I hear eat every beast. And I'm like, that's not what it says, but why am I saying that? <laughs> and to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, we uh, pray that through the story that you've recorded for us of creation, Lord, that you would help us to see um, just what you created, what has happened Lord, help us to align our worldview, our understanding of the things around us. Lord, that, that our, our understanding would be aligned with your word. Lord, that you would help us to see uh, history as it happened and how you've recorded it for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So on Monday, we, I needed help. To, to go down to Ocean Beach to, to get a mattress. And Daniel, you know, he, wherever he is, he's back there in the corner. He, he volunteered to give me a ride down there to help me get the mattress and bring it back because he has a pickup truck. And to say he has a pickup truck would be a, a sort of an understatement. It's a utility truck. It's a 1971 piece of machinery. I was sort of concerned initially because I offered to pay for gas and I didn't know if it'd be cheaper just to buy a new mattress or to pay for the gas to go to go down there. And so I don't know if we I don't know. I haven't researched mattresses. And so driving driving with him was a lot of fun. I got into this thing and, you know, it really helped with conversation because you couldn't have conversation because it was so loud. And and it was I mean, it was an experience, but I was having these flashbacks of of my first car was a 1971 Super Beetle. And it was, I mean, driving with him, I'm like, oh, I miss the marriage that I had with the car. Because it wasn't, it's not like you just got in and drove. It was like you had to baby it. It took all parts of your body between steering with no power steering, shifting. If I needed to use the brakes, I needed to pump up to get the pressure built up so I could start to slow down. As we were shifting into gears, he were like, go. And he's like, he ease off. He's like, come on, baby, shift, shift. And I'm like, oh, I'm having such great memories. It took me back to those times. And I, I love that car. I'm not me mechanically inclined whatsoever, but that car gave me a lot of practice. And one of the first things I did was I put a radio in it because it didn't have a radio. And so I spent the whole day installing this radio into the dashboard, running speakers, which was essentially just a speaker from the house that I plopped in the little back compartment back there, ran speaker wire. And it worked, and it was awesome, and I was so excited to have this, this radio now in my new car. And so I was out driving the car, and a little red light came on the dashboard, I, a warning light. And this light came on, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen that. I normally see the low oil one, which was a different one, which I understood the low oil. I had to, every time I gassed up, I'd put just about as much oil in the car to keep it going, and... And so I, I decided, I'm like, I'll pull over and pull out that little book to see what this light says. 
And so when I looked in the book, it said it had two purposes. One, it could reveal an electrical problem. The second was is that it could be overheating, that there was some sort of heating problem. And so naturally, I thought, well, I've been working on the, I've been working on the stereo all day, so I must have done something to the electrical problem because the car is running great. I mean, it was, I, as I was driving, I remember thinking, I'm like, man, it's shifting good. It's, there's more power than normal. I'm like, this is wonderful. And I'm like, so I'm just going to ignore that light, which I've learned that the other name for these warning lights is idiot light. And I'm the, the idiot <laughs> in this story. And so I, I'm like, well, the radio, I must have done something. And so I went, I went, and I went for a couple hours driving until the car just stopped. And I was like, oh, no, that's not good. I turned it over, did a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like an electrical problem. And it turns out that the fan belt had broke. And the fan belt is what cooled the engine totally and completely And in hindsight, as I needed to buy a new engine because I fried that one because of this little problem, which was a catastrophic, I mean, this was, I was, I was facing the sort of fiscal cliff that America was facing with this $800 problem when it went out. And then the the mechanics, you know, they always have sort of a weird sense of humor when you're in your middle of your crisis, they're like, Oh, yeah, buddy. Like, that's why your car was running so good, because when you turn off the fan belt, that gives you like two and a half more horsepower. To That's what you were feeling. But if you want to replace it, it's going to cost, you know, X amount of dollars. And so, man, now when I see red lights, I learned my lesson. And it was, I mean, it was horrible. And the reason I bring this story up is, is I think that God has given us warning lights, He's all through the scriptures. There's been warning lights about us as people and about humanity. And for those of us who have come to trust in Christ, we've said, "Okay, I I heed this warning light." But there's so many in our culture and our world that when they see the warning light, they're like, "This can't be an electrical problem. Everything's going great. There's nothing wrong." And they're going to face the same sort of catastrophe that I faced when I fried that engine for overheating it. And so in order to understand why Christmas is so important, we have to go back to the beginning to look at the man's problem. And so the verses we read, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, God's telling the creation story. We're now on the sixth day, or, the, or, or we're, we're, we're merging. We're heading to the sixth day. Yeah, this is the sixth day, verse 24. Uh, he says, then God said, let, us, let the earth be filled with living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of, of the earth after their kind. And so it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So as he has created the earth, he's put everything in place. He says, well, let's start filling it with creatures. And we're going to put all kind of animals, and those animals will, will reproduce, and then those will, will produce its own kind. Evolution will tell us that something else has happened, but it's never been recreated. Never. What we see is exactly what we read in the scripture. Yesterday, Joanne had a little going away thing, and there was a guy there. And he says, oh, I got a new dog. And then the, the guy says, what kind of dog do you have? And he's like, I forget even the name. It was like a bugle or something. It was a beagle merged with something else. I, I, I'm like, that would be a fun dog to meet because I forget what it was. It was a beagle and like a boxer or something. And I'm like, really? And they called it something. And we'll see, we see a bunch of these like Labradoodles and, and, very, and the thing is, it's still something after its own kind. They're all still in the dog. We don't have... Uh, dogs and cats blended with some other sort of different creature that's everything is within its class and the scripture tells us what we see today is exactly what scripture records that everything's going after its kind evolution says well one thing's going from one that that monkeys have evolved to humans and i think in their defense the thing that is 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 the same the same uh creator created the monkey and the human so we see the fingerprints of the same creator in all creatures because it's the same author 
You can look at paintings and you can almost see the paint. Like you could look at a painting and almost tell, well, I know who, I, I couldn't tell you, but there are people who could say, oh, that's a Picasso or a, or is a Rembrandt, is that a person or is that a, see, 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 I'm getting like totally like out into my, my uncomfortable zone because I don't know who these guys are. But there are people who, who can look at paintings without being told who painted it and they can say, I know who painted that by the signature, not the literal signature, but by the characteristics of the painting. I, we see this in creation. So from there, as he's created everything, he says, well, we're not done. And he says, then God said, let us. We see the, tri- the trinity, the triunity of God very early on here. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So as he creates humans, as as humanity came into existence, there was something different. He said, I'm going to create humanity that is distinct from all over creation, that they are different than all of their creation. They're going to bear our image that humans bear the image of God. And we still see this in us. I think this is why there are some people who, when they look at humanity and they say, you know what? I think people are generally good, that there are very intrinsically things that we bear that still uh, mimic God, that even in our depravity, that we see some goodness. But then with the news of last week, which every day you can open the paper, every police officer I know is like, you don't have to convince them on the depravity of man. I know Christian cops are like, well, I, all I have to do is take people I want to ride along and show them how bad humanity is that, that, that really in our fallen nature is where we're going. But still in our fallen nature, we see we're image bearers. And there, there are, there's this picture of that we reflect who God is. And God from the beginning says man is going to, to be separated from the rest of creation. He goes on to say as he blesses them. There's the first command given to man. Be fruitful and multiply. Sounds like a good life. That's, that's the only restriction up to this point given to Adam and Eve. Just go ahead and multiply. Make babies and enjoy life. Rule over, care for, manage. Be stewards of, of the earth, over the animals, over the vegetation. I've entrusted you to, to care for this. And by the end of this, in verse 31, God stepped back on the sixth day and said, man, everything that I've created, it's good. There's no sin. There's no stain. There's no anything that's bad. It's simply beautiful. From this going into chapter two, we see that God takes the seventh day as a day of rest. We see that taking a Sabbath, whether it's Whatever day it's on is different. Some it's Saturday, Sunday. For me, Sunday is a working day. So I have to find it's my, my greatest struggle in life is forcing myself to take a day off. But we need it as humans to, 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 just to disengage from the stress and strain of life. The second chapter then goes back over the story of creation of man. And it opens it up. It unpackages it, if you would, to give more detail. By the time we get to the 15th or 16th verse, uh, we get to the story where woman is created from man. It's fascinating to me how this story unfolds. I had a seminary professor that as he went through this, he's like, yeah, God gave Adam the task of naming all of the creatures. I'm like, what a great job. Like God said, I'm going to create him and then you got to name him. Okay, there goes, I'll call those lions. I'll call those giraffes. I'll call those porcupines. I don't know what everything is. But as he's going through this naming process, the seminary professor part kind of pointed out that there's Adam going, one, two, those are lions. One, two, there's giraffes. One, two, there's porcupines. One, two, there's, there's me. Where's two? And you see this sort of like in Adam, like, I'm incomplete. Why do they all have two? And if you're single today wanting to get married, never forget that feeling of like, ah, I want two. Because you get married and then you start not appreciating the two. 
Love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. And it's so easy to forget. But if you're single longing to be married, and if God hasn't like put that in you, there are people that are called to being single. But the greatest thing I'd encourage you to is as you're longing for marriage, never forget that longing because that's how you appreciate your spouse. And if you're married, remember back then so that you appreciate what you have. And as this need starts to surface in Adam, God says, you know what? I'm going to solve this problem. In verse 15, we read that then God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying from from any of the tree of the garden. You may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you shall eat from it and surely you will die. So we see the second command. Okay, be fruitful and multiply, which probably came after this because in chapter one, Eve had already been around, but we've gone back. So this is probably the first command. Eve wasn't there. This is why through all, all of scripture, Adam's the one who takes the blame. Yes, Eve ate the fruit, but the man was held responsible. And there's so much speculation. Were there apple trees, orange trees, mango trees, pomegranate trees, whatever, grapefruit trees? And I probably listed fruit that's not on a tree, but is the bush. But, you know, bear with me. And then there, there was one that was like an apricot tree. He said, don't eat from the apricot tree. There are others who say, no, they were just all apricot trees. Just don't eat from that one apricot tree. There's no difference. Just that one. I just don't eat off of this one tree. And the reason is because you'll, 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 it's a knowledge of good and evil. And you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it. You'll surely die. Both spiritually and physically, death would enter in. And so God says, don't eat that. And then in verse 18, we see the creation of woman. We see then God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man and what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I can't help but to hear Miles McPherson saying that he saw it. He's like, whoa, whoa, man. Like that his reaction when he saw the woman was like, hey, this is awesome. Still like pops in, you know, you hear somebody say something once and it's, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to name her a woman. I've named everything else. And this is, whoa, man, this is great. He found what he's been, didn't even know he wanted uh, for this uh, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be become one uh, shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so, as we conclude this chapter, as we see, then it would go back to the end of chapter one. God said, "All that I've made is good." Like this is a this is the utopia. This is this is as God designed it. And then, as we move into chapter three. We are introduced to the serpent, that the serpent was, or I have written there is, because he's still moving and active. That he was more crafty than any other beast of the field, which the Lord had made. Now there's, how did, where did the serpent come from between chapter 2 and chapter 3? If we leave chapter 2 with everything God had made was good. And it was as he looked at the creation of the earth, where does this thing come from? we'd seen that the story was left with a couple of instructions. Be fruitful and multiply. Don't eat from this tree and basically care for the earth. Those were That was all that God had limited man to do. Other than that, fair game. Enjoy life. Enjoy creation. Be happy. There's there, Sin wasn't even introduced as a concept. Just enjoy life. Just obey me. Don't do this one thing. Then, then Satan enters the picture. Now, where did he come from? Now, to, to look at the, 
to look at where did Satan come from? Where did the serpent enter from? We, we have to go to a different place, a couple places in scripture where, where there's some insights that are given that we have to, we, we sort of read them and we try to paint the picture and we don't really totally know. The first place we want to go to is Ezekiel, which is a prophetical book, um, probably near the middle of the Bible. It's one of the prophets. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and I think Ezekiel. Then you have Lamentations and then Ezekiel. So if we'll turn to Ezekiel 28, this is a prophet that came later. And in during his ministry, insight is given to where did Satan come from? What do we know about Satan? We have a bunch of, you know, there's all kind of secular movies. There's all, all, all sorts of thoughts as we've just gone through Halloween the guy with the pointy horns and the tail and the hook. Like, I don't know where this stuff comes from. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, we, we see where did Satan come from? What was his purpose? In verse 14, we read, you were the anointed cherub. That you were the, of all the angels that God created, Satan or Lucifer or the serpent was the most prized angel, that he was the top dog of angels. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in all your ways, that when he was created, he was without sin. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you, it is the picture that we have. This is that when Satan was formed, he was an angel. He was an angel that was placed in, in the most prestigious spot to give adoration to God, to lead the angels in their choir of singing towards him and praising him. And it says that there was no sin found until unrighteousness was found in him. What's this unrighteousness that was found in him? In order to answer this question, we have to turn back in the Bible, back towards the front, is that right? Going, yeah, going towards back to Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 14, we read about the fall of Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, as Satan is being addressed, Isaiah kind of picks up on this fall. And the sin here, we're going to see like six eyes. Listen to I will, I will, I will. So we read in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to earth. You have you who have weakened the nations. But you in your but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high he wanted to be greater than god as he's praising and worshiping god he says i want to be god i want to be better than him i want to overcome him and the the fall of satan was his pride and the thought is is that as he fell from heaven he took a third of all of the angels with him this comes from revelation i put it up there revelation chapter 12 verse 4 and in revelation 12 we're not going to go there but in revelation 12 4 what it says referring back to this fall it says a third of the stars fell from the sky as this happened and so based on the fall of lucifer and all this stuff talking about stars falling most people believe that based as you take all of the scriptures together that when satan fell there were a third of the angels and they said hey guys let's if you want to come with me come with me and a third of them went and these are bad angels and demons and stuff that we see working in the, the demonic realm today. So going back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 when we read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. So somewhere some have suggested sometime between chapter 2 and chapter 3 everything's been created Sometime in there that this is when the fall of Satan happened because everything was good. There's all it is is speculation. We don't know. Everything was good. Then suddenly 
in this creation that God made, there's this free choice, this free will within boundaries that, that his creation can rebel or go with him. We see that Satan fell, brought a bunch of angels. As man enters into living his life according to the plan that God designed, he's given him simple rules, simple instructions. Satan walks onto the pages and we read that the serpent is more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And I love this, that Satan, it's his ploy all along. He takes what God says and he manipulates it. So did God say really uh, uh, not to eat from any tree of the garden? He's already, he, he didn't say any tree. He said this one tree. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees we may of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it. Did he say anything about touching it? No. He simply said, don't eat it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That's exactly what Satan wanted to do when he fell, according to Isaiah. And now he's tempting Eve with the same sort of pride that wants to be better than God. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And so in this moment, we see the fall of humanity, which it's referred to, where things change. Suddenly, man rebelled following Satan's lead, rebelled against God, and sin entered the world. Suddenly, everything changed. That same Monday when we went out, when we got the mattress, uh, Barb, who you guys know, her daughter works for Jack in a Box. We all went out and got a burger because if my NOB, you guys know me with burgers. I'm going to go to Hodad's. It's one of the greatest burgers in the world. And so we went, I'm like, hey, do you like burgers as much as your dad likes burgers? He's like, oh, I like a good burger. And I'm like, well, do you think 10 a.m. is too early for a burger? He's like, no, I could eat. And I'm like, all right, let's go get a burger. And so we're sitting there eating and she works for Jack in a Box. She's like the quality control person for, for Jack in a Box. And she was talking about the most recent drama that she got into that she had to, to get rid of, to, to reject like 20 or 30 or some huge amount of pallets of churros. Because in the sampling, they discovered that there was a problem. And as she's talking, like, wait, 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 how much money was that? She's like, it was probably two to three hundred thousand dollars worth of product i was like ah and i'm like what happened she's like well as they come through we take random samplings and and we found that that two of them had some sort of something or other that's a byproduct of a plant that basically can get you very sick and could kill some people so we basically had to reject the whole product and i'm like wait can't you just like sift out the bad ones and keep the good ones you know like you know, roadkill's okay to eat. Like if you talk to the people in Alaska that are like frontier people, they're okay with, you know, taking little risk. And she's like, no, no, no. Because if we find anything out of a batch, everything goes away. And see, we read this story and we think, oh, they were sinful. How can that, how can that affect me? However many years ago that was. Well, the problem is, is that they're the mother and father of all creation. And when they rebelled against God, when they sinned, literally, I believe that their DNA changed and that they then passed on that we're all a bunch of that same churro product. 
But we're not cheeros, we're humans. And so we have sin within us. And most people, if you have a hard time dealing with the, how can I be responsible for sin? How can I be, how can an innocent little baby have sin within them? Most reasonable people, by the time they're two, three, can say, you know what? I've had sinful actions that have, that have manifested itself in rebellion and explosions and, 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 and just total sin. It doesn't take long for your sin to manifest itself. And so at this moment, we see that sin entered the world. Everything changed. Everything changed. We saw what God didn't want us to see. Death entered the world, both spiritually, that there was separation from God, that literal death spread throughout humanity. Death was not something that God created. And I think this is why humans, when we see death, it grips us in a way that we just can't, if we're honest with it, we can't even cope with it. We can't deal with seeing even a, a grandparent who lived a, a long life by our turn. When they face death, it's more than our soul can handle because we weren't created to see death. And yet death entered in and brought this great destruction. And then when God sees them, they now have their little, like, I don't know if they have some, like, grape leaves that they've, like, patched onto themselves I imagine it was a pretty funny picture trying to see how they hid themselves before clothing. God, hey, how come you guys got clothes on? Well, we're naked. How'd you know you're naked? This is, I saw a video about this guy and he came home from work. His whole kitchen trash is like just strung all over. I mean, it was amazing how much trash was over his kitchen. And He's like, well, I don't know what happened. I just came home from school and I've been studying all day. And I, I came home to, to see this. And uh, honey, I, he's like talking to his wife. He's like, well, let me see if I can figure out how this happened. Two dogs run up and they're kind of like happy and, and uh, like smiling. If a dog, you know, dogs can smile. They're kind of there. And he's like, well, was it you or was it you? Who's the guilty one? I don't know. And then the, the camera view goes to the third dog. This big old, I'm not sure what kind of dog it was, but it looks like Miss Pat's Toby. He's sitting there on his bed like, I'm in so much trouble. He has the lid of the trash can around his neck as a necklace. And he's like, uh He's like, could it be you? And he's like, it wasn't me. He's got his big old puppy dog eyes. He's like, I don't know what. They, they stuck this thing on my neck. And I get this image when God says, why do you guys have clothes on? Who told you you're naked? I don't know. We just figured it. I just figured it out. (laughs) And so then God deals with them in verse 12. He says, the man said, the man said, I love this. In the SEAL teams, we had a saying, uh, deny everything, make counter accusations. We, the lesson was learned from this verse right away. She did it. The woman you gave to me. You gave her to me. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go. And the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between you and your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you and toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. And so we see this, this punishment, this curse of sin has spread throughout all of the earth to the woman. We see pain in childbirth, a struggle 
within the marriage union, that there'd be some, this conflict would arise. When Anna has the babies and she's in a lot of pain, and I'm trying to be funny because it's like, what else can you do to try to like make light of the situation? Like, well, blame Eve. Don't blame me. Blame Eve. It's not my fault. <laughs> she did this to you. Uh, I mean, there, there's this last scene. You, I mean, you know, I've heard people say, I haven't really been around enough animals given birth, but they say animals don't have the same sort of, they just kind of happen. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't, like, I'm not, a, as, I'm not in animal husbandry as much as I should be for being in Valley Center. To the man, we see toil the earth. Can't tell you the, the agony. I mean, we have all this rain. We need the rain. And I know green is beautiful. And it's just, but man, I'm just, my weed whacker is now taunting me. Like, as I see the green coming up, yeah, I love Valley Center. I love having land. But it's like, oh, man, all these green sprouts are coming up. And there's nothing pleasant about it. People that aren't from up here from the city go, oh, it's looking so beautiful. It's like, no, it's not. I wish I could just lay concrete all over everything. Just, but, then, but then the weeds, they'll still make it up through the concrete. Those nasty little, that's the curse. That this land, like you can't just grow plants. You grow plants now and gophers come and weeds come. And it's like birds will eat your fruit. Like all of this is a part of the fall. To Satan, he says, to your belly you'll go. That there'll be enmity between Eve's seed and Satan's seed. That, that there's some division. That there's some lineage. And then he gives this promise. The very first promise of Christ. See, Christ has always existed. Don't let Christmas confuse you. So often we, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we think that that's when he came into existence because that's when we came into existence was at our birth. He always existed. He's God. He came in the form of a man, but he, he existed long before he was born. And in Genesis, what is it? 315, I think is where the promise is found. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, speaking of a catastrophic blow that would destroy him. The picture of the cross. Satan's work was destroyed on the cross. And we see this wonderful promise of the coming of the Lord way back in the first few chapters of Genesis. And from this, we see that all of humanity has experienced sin. In Romans 5.12, Romans, I'm so, uh, I'm looking forward to going through Romans. I'm terrified to go into Romans. It's, it's this great legal case that Paul is making. Explaining Christianity in the clearest terms. And in Romans 5.12, he says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. He's saying he points to Adam when Paul in Romans is laying out his legal case for the need for Christ and for us to come to believe. He says that when Adam sinned, DNA changed, sin entered the world. There are so many, whether it's a Chiro illustration, whether I take a big old glass of water that's filled with Avion tap, I mean, bottled water that's of the purest form. And I go get a little dropper into the men's urinal. And I just take one little suction and just put one drop. You guys thirsty? Anybody? It's Avion water. Mostly. There's only a little bit of contaminated water in there. We don't like, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm okay. I'll, because it contaminates all. We say, well, I'm mostly good. All it takes is one drop of sin to contaminate the whole thing. That it's all bad. And we see this problem develop. But as we work our way through Romans, where we get to the ultimate gift, before we get to the gift, we have to understand the black cloth, this fall of humanity. It shouldn't surprise us. 
It shouldn't surprise us when we see things like we've seen in the news this week. People look at this and it's horrible, catastrophic. Our prayers need to go to the families, to that community. I assure you it will only be time before there are positive stories about how God intervened, just like Columbine and other tragedies. But our reaction is like, oh, we need to, let's outlaw guns. Let's do this. Well, the problem is in the heart of man. I don't care what you try to legislate. We are terribly evil and wicked. And that's that's a major problem. I tell the story of when I got engaged with Anna. A horrifying situation. I knew I liked the girl. And for some reason in our culture, if you want to marry a girl, you got to buy a diamond ring. It's just sort of the way it is. And I don't have a whole lot of experience with this. So I walked to the one ring shop that had the two big rings, Robbins Brothers. And I was a total victim walking in. I mean, I, I, I was like the lamb going to the slaughter. I want to propose. I need to buy a ring. It's like, well, we'd love to help you, sir. That's why we're here. And, like, and I'm like, don't, don't start asking me how much money I make because I'm not buying into the whole however many paychecks. I got this much money that I'm willing to spend. I have a very simple girl. She wants small, small. It's what she wants, small, tiny. And the lady's like, well, come back into my office. And so she pulled me back there and she like pulled out her little bag of rocks, threw them on the table. I'm like, they all look the same to me. You can speak about all of that stuff. And I'm like, let's just, let's talk brass tacks. Take all of the ones that are outside of this price range. So she whittled it down to about five with the varying clarity, size, all of the things with what fit in there. I'm like, they all still look the same to me. She's like, don't worry. Don't worry. She pulled out this black velvet cloth, laid it on the table. I'm like, I don't need that. Just give me the things. And she's like, hold on. She turned off all the lights except for one light that came beaming down onto the black cloth. And then she took, she took the tweezers because the one I wanted was so small <laughs> to get the thing onto the thing. And as soon as she put it into that light with the black cloth, that all of the light went into that rock. And then it was like a rainbow all over the room. I'm like, I'll take that one. That's amazing. That's amazing. But I couldn't see its beauty without that black cloth because the black cloth was there to to show the like to absorb all the other light or whatever stuff. But we can't understand the beauty of the gift of Christ, this wonderful gift, until we understand how great of a need that we have. Because you don't need a savior if you don't recognize how sinful you are and you're the condition you find yourself apart from him. Our culture, our world is going, I'm okay. I got my house. I got my, my, my white picket fence, 2.5 kids. I'm doing okay. God is for weak people. No, no, buddy. You're driving with that warning light on telling you that there is something coming. You're in danger. You're in danger, but God loves you. We're told in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God and don't let that word free. Get you get you off track. It's amazing to me when you offer events, especially as a church, I never want to charge for anything, anything that we do. I want to say if you want to help offset the cost, that's fine. But if you don't have money, still come. We, we're not going to do an event. I don't care what it is if we don't make it open to, like, to, to people. That money's not going to be the barrier. But if you say it's free, like you'll get like three people to sign up. You say, oh, it's going to be a $50 dinner. It's like, hey, we all want to come. And so somehow there's like free equates to cheap. And then there's that illustration of this guy. I don't know who did it. Some great evangelist was going to the coal miners somewhere on the East Coast. And he's trying to share Christ with him in this free gift. They're like, well, we have free whatever. And he hops on the, the shaft going down to the down into the earth with the guy. And so he looks at the guy and he says, how much does it cost to get go down a mile into the earth's surface? He's like, what are you talking about? This is work. It's free. Oh, it's free to go down there to take this elevator a mile into the earth? Man, this thing must be pretty cheap. He's like, no, are you kidding me? This thing costs a company like 
a hundred grand to like build. We had to dig out. We had to do all this stuff to get down there. And it was suddenly the light bulb came out that just because it's a free gift doesn't mean it's cheap. It's a free gift that he gave for us in Christ. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But there's nothing cheap about it. We'll never know the weight of the sin as Jesus was nailed to the cross, as God was hanging there and the world's sin was placed upon him. Something that he wasn't. This is this is very expensive. Yet he offers it to us as a gift, this free gift. You know, this is we're, we're pretty much at the end here. And and I don't want to just go into like notes of like, OK, this is Romans Road. You know, we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. Believe and you're good. Uh, when I look at my life and I reflect back on what where I've come from, where, where I was going back, especially in those time frame back in 96 era from 95 to 96, my life of 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 doing things that i wanted to do on the outside i was i was becoming very successful i'd made it through the seal program i checked into seal team three 180 of us tried out 14 of us made it i had all sorts of stuff to be proud of on the inside yet on the inside i was imploding that i realized that i i there was a void there was there was something in me that was self-destructing. And while I could pull it off on the outside and it sort of culminated at July 2nd of 1995 when I was totally drunk leaving my buddy's house and I ran from the police and they eventually caught up to me and I was charged with resisting evading arrest. And this, this that led into like a year-long process of my world collapsing. And through this I had, you guys have probably heard the story all the time, but I'm not ever going to get sick of telling the story. Is is my friend nagged me over and over and over again to go to church. And I was sick of hearing it. And then he never gave up. And I finally said, all right, dude, I'll go once. If you promise me that you'll never ask me to go again. And I'm so glad I made that deal because I went. And for the first time in my life, the Bible was explained to me and God's character was explained and God's great love for me was described and finally, after months of resisting, I came to the place where I recognized that my great need for him. And I, uh, you know, for every Sunday for a year, I accepted him as my savior. Took me Bible college to realize I only needed to accept him once. But somewhere in there, I believed. And ever since that moment, however many years later that is from then till now, I've just been growing with this great reality of how much God loves me. Like it's not that we receive eternal life when we die. We receive it when we believe upon him. And then he continues to pursue us. I so resisted God. And as we get to Romans, it's funny. When we start talking about salvation, or maybe my mind's just on Romans. That we're told in Romans 2, 4. That it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That God loves on us. He he pursues us. Today, driving to church, I heard the guy on the radio say, he said something I thought was profound. He said, God loves you so much, he can't take his eyes off of you. It's true. Wherever you go, God's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He sees all things. He's capable to keep his eyes on each one of us. Every single person. And if you haven't come to believe in him, he's going out of his way, trying to pursue you, put situations into your life so that you might turn to him and receive his gift of love. This is the whole point of Christmas. This is why Christmas is such a, 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 a great holiday. I mean, I love it and memories are formed and, and, and I'm, this is like we're kind of doing up Christmas, not money wise, but you know, you, with kids with a dollar, you can buy a bunch of different gifts. But I'm actually like wrapping gifts and putting a tree and I'm like, oh man, they're like so excited. I hope they're not let down when they see that it's only whatever, you know, I'm not going to let it out of the bag. But, but, it, but there's these warm memories that are associated with so many of us over the Christmas holiday. But really... This whole thing is about the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is so important because of our great need for a savior. And to think that he loves us so much that he would die for us. And that he wants you to turn 
your heart towards him. And he's not going to force you. He's not going to twist your arm. He's going to be kind to you. He's going to love you. He's going to break you with his love where you finally come to him and you believe and you receive eternal life. And then if you've received eternal life, you're going to continue walking with him. And I believe that until the day I die, my understanding of his love is going to keep increasing and keep increasing. And it's going to keep overwhelming me and humbling me to, to like the apostle John going through first John. I've been so convicted going through that book about how God wants us to love. And we love because we experience his love. And so let us pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, I pray two things today. First, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, everyone in this room to understand the total darkness, the total depravity, the total lostness of our world and ourselves individually apart from Christ. Lord, I'm thinking of one of the great revivals in our country that was started by that sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. And he described a spider hanging by a, 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 a one web over this raging fire. And that's the condition that we sit apart from Christ. And Lord, if there are people in this room that haven't come to know Jesus as their savior, Father, I pray that you would pursue them as your word tells us that you are with your kindness, Lord. We pray for our loved ones, our our family members, our friends, our children, Lord, that you would pursue them, Lord. That you would help them to see their great need apart from you. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted in you as Savior, I pray that you would Continue to reveal your love for us. To think that you love us so much that you never take your eyes off of us. That you're watching us. That you're uh, working through every situation that we face. And so, Lord, we pray that we would open our hearts to your love. Lord, fill us. Lord, may we understand this great love. And may we be a loving people in this world that is so dark and at times so hard to be loving. Father, help us to embrace you and to love you. And Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, may we keep Jesus at the forefront of our brains and the forefront of our minds and hearts, Lord. Lord, help us to see the opportunities that you've provided, Lord, that we could share about Jesus during this season. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.